You are now listening to the Hip Hop Learners Podcast, a place for conversations on hip hop literature, both scholarly as well as general audience. For episode nine, we have Kaylin Coleman, a student at the William H. Bowen School of Law. Kaling recently wrote one of the most interesting articles on hip-hop that I've read in quite some time, the paper called Wake Up or Get Woke, The Paradox of American Diplomatic Export of Hip-Hop, looks at how through jazz tours in the mid-20th century, as well as state-sanctioned hip-hop tours in recent decades, the United States has historically used black culture as a way of communicating a version of America that it wishes to represent, despite a lack of domestic efforts to kind of help these same groups that they use. As I said, I found this article fascinating, and I think the conversation will be insightful for anyone interested in the subject. For those unaware, the podcast is available on all major platforms, and I encourage you to check out the previous episodes if you haven't already on either Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, YouTube, or through any of your Amazon Alexa devices. That said, enjoy episode nine with Kaylin Coleman. I know I said this at the beginning of the call here, Kalen, but uh, I can't thank you enough for taking the time out to speak to me here today. I appreciate it, and I'm looking forward to this conversation. No problem, Mom. Same here. Yeah. So I, I've asked this question to previous guests as well, but I'm just kind of curious for some background context. What ended up making you interested in, in this line of research, and I guess what brought you to, to incorporate hip-hop studies into the school of law? Okay, so what happened for me is um, – there was actually a class offered uh, at law school called Hip Hop and the Constitution, Hip Hop and the American Constitution. Oh wow! Um, and just when I when I saw that title, I thought, well, this sounds a lot less boring than your typical <laughs> class, you know. Fair enough. So, um, so uh, I had no idea what I was getting into. I thought I, I kind of had in my mind it was going to be something like entertainment law or something like that. Sure. Um, but Professor Cummings really covers a lot of material um, with all kinds of aspects of social justice and and how hip hop and the law interact and then lots of examples. Um, and, and as a requirement of that class, we had to write a paper. Um, and I think for me, you know, growing up, I was I'm definitely not a musical talent. I, I'm more of a as casual of a fan as you could be. Sure. Of, of, of hip hop at the time. And, and I, I get maybe that helped me because I was kind of, I had to start from the ground up on the research. I really didn't think I knew anything about it. Um, and as I learned more and more, I just kind of stumbled across the interaction of diplomatic efforts. And I thought, well, this is, this will be an interesting subject. And as you, you do research, you start to see all these things that almost, I, I can't think of another word than it makes you angry. You, you know, you hear about um, lynchings or just slavery in general or unfair practices through history and things that you just, um, I, I guess it's anecdotal, but for me growing up, you always had this, you know, the American dream, uh, you know, of how great your country is. And then you start to see all these things that were done in the past. And then you just, I was sucked in. I had to read more and more, you know, and really, really learn about it. And that's kind of how I ended up writing this paper yeah it's amazing because i too like you um would have expected it to be 
um, a course like that, an offering like that would have ended up being more in terms of entertainment law or copyright law, looking at cases like Two Live Crew in the early 90s and uh, censorship and those sort of things is what I kind of figure that would end up encompassing. And just from the title of the paper alone, the title of yours is uh, Wake Up or Get Woke, The Paradox of America's Diplomatic Export of Hip Hop, um, is, is fascinating because it, it goes in a completely different direction than what you would end up expecting. Um a key concept in the paper that I think kind of needs to be understood before we end up unraveling the rest of the arguments here is that of soft power. Um, I guess in, in how soft power is utilized by, by artist groups internationally. Um, for those listening at home, can you kind of define exactly what you mean by soft power? Sure, sure. So I think maybe the easier way to understand it is to think of hard power because that one to me is just, is pretty obvious. That's your, you know, the United States hard power is everyone knows the United States has the biggest military. They're an economic powerhouse. Sure. They can influence politics that way. But soft power is more getting people to like you for who you are. So they, they kind of maybe, um, I think there was an example I remember years ago. Um, they always talked about how Baywatch was one of the most, uh, popular programs in the Middle East, you know, so uh, it's it's the way of getting these people in other countries to like you. They like your values. They want to kind of act the way you act. Uh, and, and that's the way you influence them more of your your personality instead of just saying this is our country's power. This is what we can do, you know. When you explain it there, and I guess when I read the paper as well, um it seems very close to the idea of propaganda. Um, how close would you say those two terms are in terms of soft power and, and propaganda? I think it's it's definitely, it's unavoidably intertwined because obviously most countries are going to, at, at some level, use propaganda to accomplish their political um, goals. Yeah. So... And one aspect of that is to put your culture out there. And that's one of the things that's so interesting about the use of hip hop and even jazz is hip hop really started as kind of an anti-establishment type of music, but the, the government still wants to leverage it as an example of how cool our culture is and how, you know, and it's a mess. I think it's a message that a lot of people identify with throughout the world. And so I, I think it's just too tempting to leverage that um, in their in their efforts to influence these other countries. And, and I, I I guess there was it makes sense. I, I didn't expect it at all when I started researching, but in the end, it does make sense. Yeah, so I wanted to bridge this conversation. You mentioned jazz there, but I wanted to bridge the conversation to talk about the jazz tours in the mid-20th century that you talk about in the paper. Um, this was, and I guess what follows in the hip-hop context was as well, was completely new to me. Um, of course, I was aware of artists like Louis Armstrong and that he traveled overseas and toured, but I was completely unaware of... Um, that these were, I guess, government-sponsored events and almost diplomatic efforts for America to save face. Um, can you break down the origin of, of these tours, the the original kind of jazz tours that you that you talk about in the paper? Sure. So, from my from my understanding, the the real motivator was that Russia was definitely uh, using a lot of propaganda that focused on our racial tensions. Um, so it's the Jim Crow era. You know, yeah. there's tons of examples of 
civil the civil rights movement, civil rights issues. So that's that's you know, uh, I guess low hanging fruit for them in their efforts. So the United States is trying to present this reputation of, of no, we're that's not who we are. We have stable racial relationships, um, and so they the State Department implements this uh, cultural presentations program and starts sending jazz musicians overseas. And that's, that's to me, that's the, from my understanding, that's the biggest reason why is kind of a response to Russia. But there, there was also an overall um, effort underway just for American culture in general. Yeah, then in the paper, you also end up diving into, I guess, the, the response by a lot of these jazz artists and their, their hesitancy to be involved in this movement. Um, and the, um, I think we've, we've kind of talked about it a little bit here, but the, the kind of paradoxical nature of the, um, of the offer, right? Of the opportunity, um, and the, the kind of difficult choice that these musicians would have to be kind of, ha- would have to make, um, knowing that they were going to go overseas in order to essentially serve as propaganda, um, for a nation that treats them historically and, um, contemporarily awful, um, and the injustices is still alive at home domestically, yet they're, supposed to be going over there in order to kind of show a different side of America um, and and almost kind of lie in a case. Um, it, ma- it makes me think of the, and I, I know the, the conversation starts kind of diving into to Islam as well, but it makes me think of the um, the Muhammad Ali, um, Clashes Clayton um, kind of argument where the, the no Viet Cong ever called me the N-word, right? Um, that's uh that's a very kind of strong sentiment throughout this paper yeah i i agree with that i think i it's just to imagine having to make that choice of of do you feel like you're betraying your your art and your your um society or do you feel like you're exposing your art to a bigger audience and that that's just I don't know what I could decide. That just seems like such a tough decision to me to put to put someone in. Yeah, fair enough. Do you think um, do you think that this kind of I, I guess activity of having musicians do these international tours in order to um, I guess maybe advocate or um, spread some sort of cultural awareness of America? Um, was that happening before these jazz tours as well? I know you mentioned things like uh, minstrel shows and whatnot in the 19th century and I guess early 20th century, um, but I assume a lot of those would have been domestic um, and not necessarily state-sponsored. Um, from your understanding of the the situation, was did this start with those jazz tours? So I do remember reading... Um, there were some other efforts ongoing, like sending um, collections of paintings um, and things like that. And there was definitely a pretty um, concentrated effort actually coming back at us um, with the French trying to send a lot of their art. Um, Britain was doing a lot of work uh, engaging our students in their uh, secondary education. Uh, even Germany had kind of a failed attempt at at uh kind of merging the collegiate level a little bit. Yeah. Um, I'm not aware of how far the U.S. efforts went prior to the jazz effort. I didn't really dig into that as much. 
Sure. Um, but, but from what I recall, there definitely were some, um, I'm trying to remember the name. Uh, I think it was in the late forties. There was the, the Smith Munt act, which was kind of the actual official authorization for the state department, uh, to kind of do these efforts to kind of spread our culture and ideology. So I'm not sure if there was actually like a formally recognized effort prior to that. Fair enough. One of the one of the subjects that the paper kind of dives into, and I, I mentioned this a second ago, but um, it's it's a slightly different topic. But that being of of Islam and the NOI and the Nation of Islam and the Five Percenters, um, where do you see that? Where do you see these ideas, um, that being Islam and uh, the Five Percenters, Nation of Islam, kind of fitting into the conversation of, of paradoxical diplomacy? Well, to me, it was it was interesting because it was. I guess, first of all, it was the most modern, and, and so I identified with it a little more because I remember um, 9-11, and I remember kind of the, maybe the tension of, you know, anti-Islamic uh, discussions in the news and just in general, um, and then you kind of remember, um, uh, I, and Shakira's in the paper a little bit, you kind of remember things like that being in the news where... Um, you know, she's refusing to change her music out of fear that it, that would be perceived as anti-Islamic. And so I think I think maybe that was one of the more catching parts just because it was the most recent. Um, and there's such a clear example of like instead of just propaganda towards us, there was an actual attack. And and at the same time, there was so much going on with with uh, President Bush and Guantanamo and and just such a conflict to imagine that while all that is happening, while all this this war, I guess, and, and against terrorism is going on, there are also these efforts of saying, well, let's spread our culture a little bit. Let's get these people to just like us for who we are, you know, and I think that's what really stuck out to me. Yeah, it's a it's another kind of interesting theme because I, I've read a fair amount on the Nation of Islam. Um, let it be from um, um, Elijah Muhammad's text, like uh, "Message to the Black Man" or Malcolm X, of course, and Alex Haley's autobiography, um, or even. Um, Mohammed Michael Knight, I believe his name is, ended up writing um, like an Islam hip hop in the Gods of New York. Um, and there is uh, Wakila Laws written on this subject as well. And just kind of the correlation between hip hop and, and Islam. And you kind of see that this is a, another instance of an ideology being um, expressed through kind of black art um, and specifically in this case, hip hop and how um, artists, like um, you mentioned public enemy in the article but poor righteous teachers uh, x clan these were a gangstar i think you mentioned in the paper as well um these are artists that are are very much kind of spreading an ideology um and you can see a concerted effort within the nation of islam to um i guess adhere to to the hip-hop kind of culture and community and be involved in in the community in a way so that they end up having this kind of friendly relationship and then they're able to to kind of use the hip-hop platform in order to spread an ideology um i don't know if it's as um 
I'm trying to think of a term here, but I don't think it was necessarily as like evil than what we see with the State Department um, kind of using these these voices in order to propagate something that they're, let's say they're not. Um, but nevertheless, it, it is another case of an ideology being used um, or a platform being used in order to spread an ideology and specifically black art form as the as that platform and hip hop specifically. Yeah, I think that was interesting to see to see how much appropriation of of black culture happens in the history of the country. Yeah. Um, and then also, like you mentioned, um, I think there's always been this notoriety of of uh, of hip hop and rap of being misogynist or violent or associated with drugs or kind of like you said, this evil connotation. But then then you read into the history and you find out about things like COINTELPRO. And you and you start to think, well, who who's the evil um, in this story? Uh, so that's definitely to me. It, it was so interesting because I just felt like, and again, it's anecdotal, but I just felt like I had never heard about so many of these these things before. Um, and it's just it's interesting to me. And I guess we see so much today that people. You know, like the rise of social media, you kind of people want a voice. They want to be able to spread their message. And and it seems like obviously hip hop is an effective way to, to do that because it spreads so much and so fast and been so popular. A hundred percent. So it's just it's just fascinating. Yeah. One of the things that I found shocking was the, the persistent nature of America's efforts to use black culture, um, again, as almost propaganda um, and to somehow bypass the injustices that the country has and, and is performing against the dis, these disenfranchised groups. Um, I mentioned this a moment ago, but I had no idea that hip hop artists were, were kind of used in this way. Um, there's really two examples that stood out to me here. So you had um, Chuck D of Public Enemies and his kind of refusal to be that voice for America. And then Oza Motley's allowance to be that voice. Um, do you think America choosing these voices specifically, those being kind of outspoken critics of America's domestic politics, shows that the country is trying to, to be better? Or do you think that they are kind of using these voices for the same purposes as the jazz tours um that being simply to i guess propagate a better image for america not fully understanding the i guess the types of characters that they are reaching out to in the case of oza motley and, and chuck d i think i think it's a little bit of both and i do mention this in the paper that you know there's there's not one hip-hop message so you could you could easily have a message both ways and there's not one government position with so many departments like the State Department versus the military. So you could easily have two separate positions concerning, you know, topics like diplomatic efforts. Sure. Um, and then also, I think I think definitely picking those artists for whatever reason. And I guess it's hard to say without them admitting it, <laughs> but it makes it authentic because I think there's a quote in the paper about um when they when the, the state department sent some paintings overseas and people complain that well these, these don't represent america and uh i forget the name but whoever was running the department at the time said well what you know what's more american than sending something over there that doesn't represent america <laughs> and I, that enough. really that really hit home with me because you know to send to send artists over there like that that are saying hey we recognize that our government's doing some things wrong but we're 
we're still making some good music, I think is like what's more American than, than saying, look how free we are that someone could could come over here and tell you what we're doing wrong. There are a lot of countries in the world that, that would just never allow something like that. So I think for whatever reason they've done it, and I, I really truly think that at least as far as the State Department goes, they're doing it for the right reasons. It, it does make it authentic to me. Yeah, it reminds me of the the effectiveness of those Buckley's commercials that you used to see, and I'm not sure if they still run, um, but it's the whole, like, taste awful, but it works, right? Just admitting some sort of downfall to any degree adds legitimacy to the statements that you are making that are positive. Um, you you seem to have a sense of trust when, an, when a company or an organization or a state um, is able to come out and, and admit wrongdoing uh, so blatantly like that. Um, by allowing artists like Oza Motley or Chuck D um, to to be their voice, um, artists that are historically critical, and I I don't think um, from my personal again it's hard it's hard to to know without them just coming out and, and explaining this, but um, I I don't think you could possibly be ignorant of of who these people are, right? Like if you're if you're reaching out to Chuck D, you must have some idea of who he speaks uh what he speaks about and what type of message he's going to end up sending if you uh, end up getting him to agree to to go on these international tours and the same thing for Oza motley um there's there's no hiding the fact that these are very outspoken political um music groups yeah i think you're right i think that i think it's an intentional decision and i know um I know that there was some mention um, in the paper about, uh, I think it was the New York Times that said, you know, jazz is a, is a sonic weapon. And so maybe there are, maybe there are people who think, you know, this is an intentional propaganda effort. But I really think as far as the artists are concerned, just because that's who is, just because the person who is helping fund your trip to spread your message has an ulterior motive, that doesn't necessarily mean that your motive is bad. And so I think it's it's a great thing for them to be able to go over there and perform in front of these other countries and show them what we're all about. Yeah, and it does feel different than the jazz tours as well, because when you're describing the jazz tours in the paper, it does feel like there was a sense of, of ignorance on the on the side of the State Department of of who these artists were and what their political beliefs were and how outspoken they were going to be. Um, it felt like it was much more of a propaganda effort um, where they were going to end up going over and just basically introducing the world to jazz and not necessarily be speaking on their political beliefs um, and the, the domestic terrorism that happens at home. Um, whereas with the, the hip-hop community, there's almost no hiding that, right? It feels very intentional and that's what's something that they were going to end up doing um so it feels like they even though the same action is being done in terms of these these tours and these uh, like diplomatic efforts um it feels very different in terms of motive at the very least it feels like there's been some sort of growth as a as a country um to put it one way, I'm not sure if, uh, if that's completely accurate, but it does feel like there's a po- like a movement in a positive direction anyhow from what we saw in the, the mid-20th century to, to what we now see in the, the 21st. I agree with you, and I think I think you hit it, the nail on the head, that um, it, the jazz effort was obviously propaganda, and really I'm not sure anyone knew 
how well it was going to work. And then it turns out that not only did it spread our culture pretty well, but it also really focused the world's view on even more onto civil rights. And it helped the civil rights movement. And knowing that now and seeing the same uh, government leverage of hip hop, maybe maybe really makes it an easier choice for a hip hop artist knowing that, hey, uh, maybe soft diplomacy does work because the more people like my art and my message, the more power I have. And I think that's maybe that's one of the things that has really changed since the, the jazz effort. Yeah, hundred um, percent. Again, I, I can't thank you enough for for writing a paper like this. It really ended up shedding light on on something that I knew nothing about. I, I didn't know that America was involved in these kind of diplomatic efforts um, and using kind of artist groups in order to um, to spread a message or to communicate something about the country, um, about America, uh, about the United States to to international um, groups and, and to youth groups internationally. Um, it makes sense. I understand why the government would end up being interested in doing so, but I. Just just never knew that something like this would end up happening. Um, it even reminds me of things like um, Barack Obama and his uh, playlist that he ends up making every year um, that is very clearly kind of aimed towards uh, content and messaging in in the music that he's attempting to share, right? Um, I feel like this is something that's that's happening that I just never quite understood and never knew um, really that it was happening or I never really thought about it. Um, so I, again, I, I can't thank you enough for for writing a paper like this and shedding light on on this whole situation because um, it was it was really interesting on my end. Someone that reads a lot about hip hop and hip hop studies um, coming into a, a completely new idea. So thank you. Oh, thank you. I, I can honestly say it was it was. A lot of fun to write because it is such an interesting subject and and i think like you said it once you read about it you realize well yeah obviously <laughs> this has been happening but before you read about it yeah i just don't think many people know that that this has gone on at all exactly um i want to ask where are your what where does your current, uh, I guess, research lie? Um, you said that this paper ended up stemming from a, a course that you ended up taking, but is this something that you're interested in kind of diving into further and writing about further? Um, or where exactly is your current research? Um, so the professor that taught this class, his name is Andre Douglas Poncummings, and um, he is, just as an example, um, he was a co-author of the textbook we used in the class, Hip Hop and the Law. Uh, Pamela Bridgewater, Donald Tibbs, and Professor Cummings um, co-authored it. And just as an example for uh, any Americans who might listen to the podcast, the textbook was very affordable, if that gives you an idea of their character, of what good people they are. <laughs> but um, it, like I said, I really did not expect the, the breadth of, of information covered in the class. And so it's really been kind of an eye-opening thing to me. Um, I, one of my big interests now has been universal basic income. Um, and I'm, I'm still a student, so I'm not, you know, full-time researching. Sure. But I definitely, uh, I did a lot of constitutional research uh, for this paper. And so I'm kind of hoping to eventually tie some of that into uh, maybe a discussion of universal basic income, maybe how that could um, 
influence uh, or even be a part of uh, uh, the word slipping right now. Um, uh, you got it on the tip of my tongue. Uh, when you, uh, <laughs> uh, well, I, I'll circle back. I'll think of it later. But, uh, but yeah, so I've definitely been drawn into this subject. I, you know, I've still, I work full time and I've been in school part time. So I haven't done a ton of work on a, on another paper or anything like that. But definitely this is, I think to me, when you see a history of injustice, like, like you can read about in this paper, you can't help but want to know more because you want to help in some way or to prevent something like this from happening again. Yeah. Um, so definitely I don't have super specific, um, idea of the next thing I'm going to write, but I'm definitely still still interested in looking more into the interaction between hip-hop and the law. Of course. Yeah, I um, I really enjoy reading this paper. Um, of course, the content was something new to me, which I found fascinating, um, absolutely fascinating. It really ended up just taking me for a surprise, um, and I really enjoyed the ride. But um, but furthermore, I think the writing was was good as well. So I can't wait on, on to kind of read whatever you end up putting out next. And congratulations on on the publication of this article as well. Um, I, I know the uh, the efforts to to publish is always something that's that's difficult, especially for a student. Um, I'm in the same boat as well. I, I haven't finished my studies, and it's um, it's hard to to juggle both of those things at kind of the same time. And being able to publish as a student is is always just an amazing kind of opportunity. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. And I just, I just real, I finally realized I was thinking about how um, universal basic income might be a way to accomplish reparations because um, I think that's a very contentious topic. But I think there's a big movement going towards the possibility of universal basic income. So that's definitely something I hope to write about in the future. Yeah, I'm in Canada myself, and we end up seeing that argument play out a lot, especially throughout the pandemic. Um, just the fact that we've been able to f um, provide what we call CERB, um, and I forget exactly what it stands for, uh, Canada's Emergency Response Benefit, I guess. Yeah, it must be that. Um, but um, we've been able to provide a fairly substantial amount of, of the kind of monetary value to, to the population that's in need of it. Um, and the conversation has thus kind of shifted into this idea of universal basic income and how do we transition from the the CERB program that we had in response to the the pandemic to something like a universal basic income and we have a few different parties in Canada uh, notably the the conservative party the NDP and the, the liberal party and it really feels like the NDP party is is fighting for those sort of ideals and we start to kind of see the the liberal party also um, joining in on those conversations so um UBI is something that I also um, I think is a, is a very positive thing. I think it's worked out very well for other countries that have kind of um, employed it. Um, and I hope to see it more effective in the, the Western kind of world. Um, and I think in terms of reparations uh, for things like slavery, um, I feel like that's a really interesting argument to, uh, to start making. And I, I'd love to be able to, to read about that as well. Awesome. That sounds great. Thank you so much. Yeah, of course. Thank you again for coming on. Um, I'd love to, to keep in contact whenever you do end up having new material published and if it does kind of correlate with the, um, I guess, the idea of this podcast, I'd love to have you back on as well to discuss whatever it is. Well, that sounds great. I, I look forward to it and I'll keep listening. I, I appreciate you having me on.